You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. We're back on another episode of PXPCast. Thanks, as always, for the subscribe, the stream, the download. My name is Joel Godet, and this is the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters, hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. It's a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. It comes your way every Friday morning and sometimes other days. Tried out Tuesday this week. Hope you caught the episode with Mike Moore. Uh, executive producer, senior coordinating producer, coordinating producer, just producer. Mike Moore has run the gamut uh, in his career, was one of the main people behind the launch of ESPNU back in 2005. If you want some insight into the producer's role and a producer's take on our job as play-by-play broadcasters, which you like, you should want those things. Um, go back and listen to our last episode with Mike Moore. Uh, you you will you will learn lots of things. I would say you learn something, but you will learn lots of things. Podcast is on social media at PXPCast. I'm at Joel Godet. Email me if you'd like at J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U. Our guest this week on the podcast, or I guess our second guest this week on the podcast, is Krista Blunk, play-by-play voice, analyst, uh, host of roles in her career. Right now, uh, for outlets including, but not limited to, Pac-12 Network, uh, Westwood One on the radio, uh, ESPN, and runs the gamut in terms of the number of sports that she broadcasts, play-by-play, and on the analyst side. She's worked for uh, The Mountain, uh, Fox Sports, um, WNBA team, Sacramento Monarchs, Golden State Warriors broadcast. That was one of her first ins to... A, a sports team or a network, so to speak, uh, got into broadcasting originally. Krista went to Evansville for her undergrad, where she played basketball. She's a Hall of Famer at Evansville, played there from 1990 to 1994. And her major was telecommunications. So went to college knowing this was the route that she wanted to go. Didn't just get into it because, hey, I like sports. I want to talk about sports and got into being a local sports anchor first and foremost. And then eventually with the Golden State Warriors and the San Jose Lasers, they were a women's professional basketball team in the American Basketball League, the ABL, and then Stanford Women's Basketball, and then the Sacramento Monarchs in the WNBA. Uh, And then into the world of network television with ESPN, Westwood One, etc. Krista has been to a lot of different places, seen this business from a lot of different angles, and beyond that, just has a really good perspective and is a really fun person to talk to. Usually I say that we will we will start on your answer when I ask my first question, but I was watching okay. a video today and I wanted to include the question um, in that uh, it was like a get-to-know-Krista Blanc and the first thing you said is that in your free time, you like to go to the grocery store. 
And I know, in, which in, is even complicated now, right? Yeah, I was going to say, in this day and age, I feel like that is the worst thing to do in your free time. I know, I know. Uh, how have you dealt with no sports? Wow, dealing with no sports. You know, I feel like I've gone through almost – you know, when, when you go through a death of some sort and you go through those phases of emotions and waves of emotions, I, I definitely went through some waves. That's for certain. Um, you went from thinking, okay, it's going to be different, but it's still going to be there to it's not there and it's over. There's just this immediate ending and it's hard to kind of understand and, and get a grasp of that. Um, I was definitely felt very depressed. I was very just sort of in a fog, just sort of you're kind of looking around, you're on your computer, the news is saying every, the same thing over and over and over again. Um, so kind of went through a little depression, went through a little frustration, concern, anxiety, you name it, emotion. I think I think it, uh, it kind of went through my brain and I decided to give myself a weekend and uh, let myself kind of get through that and then decided, okay, Monday, let's refocus and see what you can do with all of this. And so, um, I, I tried to give myself some time frames and parameters because that's basically how when you work in this business, you have to break down your week and your month and your, you know, your day as it is. So um, I, I finally kind of tried to get a focus there, but I try to be realistic and give myself a little time to just sit and maybe just keep the pajamas on all day if I wanted to. So uh, it's been, it's been a really interesting uh, wave that we're, that we're going through right now. I, I was told by someone uh, who does work at home that you have to have uh, you have to wake up and put on your day pajamas and then you have to make sure you change out of your night pajamas. Otherwise, it's just all is lost. Um, where were you when this all started to happen? I know like, you did a conference championship for Westwood mm -hmm. that weekend. And then where were you that week when everything started to kind of hit the fan? Yeah, I got back after the Pac-12 Women's Championship uh, that night after working with Westwood One, and um, I flew back. I ended up flying back late that night to get back early that morning because you're getting ready for that next week. And I was actually going to be doing some Pac-12 softball that next weekend, and so I had to kind of change hats and decided get home, have that full Monday, you know, to kind of go to the store, do whatever you got to do, you know, and then, and then get back on track. Um, and so I got home, kind of got up, you're cleaning out emails, you're trying to get organized on that Monday. And I could already tell things were starting to change quite a bit, you know, yeah. went from the PAC 12 tournament, everybody kind of fist pumping elbows, still a few hugs, still thinking, you know what, I don't care. It'll be fine. It's going to be fine to, um, yeah, to, to starting to take it more and more seriously as, as the week went along. And then you get home and you can already tell within a week's time or less than a week, it had changed. So I was home and getting ready and thinking I was going to be covering softball to, I'm not sure how much of this prep work that needs to be done now. And so you start to kind of think about, travel changes and am I going to need to drive somewhere instead of fly somewhere? What am I going to do? So I was home. Then you, then you hear about uh, the Utah jazz players uh, coming down. And as soon as that started to happen, the, the reality, because we had already yep. started to hear, maybe there won't be fans in the stands. And you thought, Oh my goodness, no fans in the stands. How, how can we, how can we have games without fans in the stands? But the thought was, our broadcasts would even become more important because the fans would not be able to be involved to we're not we're not going to have broadcasts there's there's not going to be games and so your emotions are are very 
much about you and, and about me and what are we going to do, but also the student athletes and the staff workers and everybody that's that's involved with this and everybody that's impacted by this. And so I went, I was, I was home and um, realized that I didn't have to get that softball prep done. And I had to start working on trying to get a hold of some, uh, some of the travel, uh, some of the, some of the airlines and making some changes. Yeah, there was that 24 hour window where we went from thinking we were the most important people to not having a job. Uh, <laughs> right. Life comes yeah. at you fast. <laughs> that's our industry, isn't it? I, yeah. That's kind of how it's always gone. I think so. Um, let's go from, uh, that's the here and now let's go to the beginning if we can. Um, mm-hmm. I know you went to college for telecommunications at Evansville, mm-hmm. um, and you got into broadcasting and you were doing local news originally in Evansville and mm-hmm. went out to the Bay area and you were involved in the, the golden state warriors broadcasts pre and post. Um, mm-hmm. but when did you make the jump to being, um, in game talent, be it play by play or in the analyst role that, that you've done uh, throughout your career as well? Yeah, it, it started somewhat in in college. Um, I had my arm twisted a little bit trying to declare a major. And as I played basketball at the University of Evansville, uh, I was I was lucky to have a mentor who was the voice of the men's program at the time who kept saying to me, hey, come call some soccer matches with me. Hey, you should come do this. You should get involved. I'm going to talk with. Is this the guy that forced you to do a game? Yes. He forced me to jump over into the play-by-play role, whether I wanted to or not, because he basically left the press box. So I, I, we were we were on and I had to do it, which was probably the scariest and best thing that ever happened to me. But Bob Buck was his name, uh, brother to Jack, a uh, longtime broadcaster and uncle to Joe that a lot of people know. And um, he was the voice on the men's side in Evansville. And he went to the communications department on campus and we at the time had a radio station and they said, he said, I'm calling these games by myself. I want to get some student athletes involved. And, uh, and he got me to, to take part in it and deciding to declare a major. And I declared my communications major. And, um, I, I got the opportunity to work with him throughout, but I had interned with some of the different affiliates in town, the NBC affiliate. I worked on the production side, ran camera, um, I, I learned so much about the business in so many different areas, and I really do think it helped me in the long run. And as we went along, I finally uh, doing radio call early on, and then finally on the TV side, uh, co-hosted a home fix-up show for a while, which was <laughs> which was quite a, quite an interesting uh, career move. But it was it was a lot of fun, and um, and then continued obviously with my love for sports and i was lucky enough that a fox station that i was working with at the time created a local sports station within it and they asked me let's create some coaches shows let's call some local games and that was really my first other than the fact other than the time that he forced me to be play-by-play but that was the first time that i really became the a main play-by-play with that sports station a couple things to unpack there. Number one, I'm going to get nailed for this by some people. I didn't know. I didn't know there was another Buck. I didn't realize Bob Buck was part of the Bucks. Yeah. Yes, I know. Well, I'll tell you, Bob. Bob was. Uh, Bob didn't always stay on the the straight and narrow path. Bob was definitely the rebel, probably of the, <laughs> of the Buck family. Uh, he was the black buck of the black family, probably Um, just a, just a crazy, wonderful, wonderful man. I tell you, he, um, he definitely um, had worked at high levels uh, with, 
you know, the Cleveland organization and in New York and um, ended up settling back down, kind of semi-retiring and became the voice on the men's side with Evansville at, in Evansville and um, had a lot of experience and had a lot to offer. And um, again, I, I, I give him so much credit and I know, uh, you know, he didn't quite have have the same uh, maybe status in the business as his brother and now his, and now his nephew, but uh, he sure he sure did a lot for me. Um, do you have the tape of when he walked out of the booth and made you call a game? <laughs> I do. I, I do. I, it's, it's funny. I've tried to I didn't think that would be the answer. So <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, it's sad, but true, but I do. And, and I, I've tried to digitize so many things down and I, and every once in a while I'll, I'll make a move or clean some things out and I'll find things and I'll kind of go back through and listen, but, um, trying to hang on to these, these old, old archives is is not the easiest thing anymore but uh i'll never forget it i will absolutely never forget it what does it sound like like have you listened back to it anytime recently yeah i i I guess (laughs) in in hindsight i was better than i thought i would be uh fair but again all i could do at the time was think of how of the of and this is how when you start as an analyst and I worked as an analyst for many, many years and I still work as an analyst, uh, you know, just, I love breaking down the game and it's kind of how I prep for things as well. But your approach as a play by play compared to an analyst is very different when you entered a game. So I had to think about how does he start the half? What does he say? Um, and those were things that I was forced to think of quickly because you had to, uh, you know, you had to come up with it, but I ended up taking some of that and using it on a demo. Uh, I remember way back. Uh, so part of my demo has some of that on it from what I can remember now. I've got to look for that. That's fun. That's fun to think about. But I remember it was IU, it was Evansville and IU playing and we were in Bloomington and uh, it was, I was just excited to be able to go. They let me travel, go to an away match. I knew it would be a big one uh, getting to go to Bloomington and, and then he leaves the building. So I, <laughs> it became a little bigger than I, than I thought it was going to be. But <laughs> I, I'd say I probably did a little better than I thought I would, but I obviously could have done a lot better too. So I, I knew I needed to work on some things. That's for sure. <laughs> I have to say as well, um, when I was a child, Bob Vila home again, for whatever reason, oh, yeah. was my favorite television <laughs> show. Um, so I'm kind of jealous that you were able to host a home improvement program at some point in your career. <laughs> yeah. Now that one, I look back on that one, sadly for that, that was TV. And so the... <laughs> <laughs> the the look the look could have been a lot better that's for certain and uh, the content probably could have also but it was really a lot of fun we really had a great time and I had a co-host with me and uh, I will never forget the tryout for that one we went back I had, I had played ball in Australia for a year I came back home and wasn't certain what I was going to do TV wise and I I saw that the NBC affiliate was going to do auditions for a show. And so I reached out to some of those contacts of mine and said, Hey, can I try out for this? And they said, sure. And myself, I'm standing against the wall. I know, I don't know anyone there. And they're all sitting around with their resumes and talking about their agents and this and that. And I'm thinking, I don't have a chance with this. And I'm standing next to a young guy who said, I don't have an agent. I don't know. He and I ended up being the ones that they ended up hiring, not the people who had all the (laughs) extra experience and the agents and you name it. So um, there was something to be said about that too, I guess, just going in and being yourself. So. <laughs> loaded question on that note because um, you can go in any number of directions with this but um, once you get into a an analyst role and or a play-by-play role however you want to attack this um, mm-hmm. when did you start like when did you feel like you got good at it like wh- mm-hmm. when did it start to click and what did you do that 
um, that started working where you said, all right, I, I feel like I'm, I'm actually good at this. I can do this and, and I'm, and I'm in a good place. Yeah. You know, I really think that experience is, is what it takes. And, and, and sadly you have to become kind of old to do that, <laughs> to get that, uh, as you get older and at the more and more you do, and they say repetition, repetition, right? Uh, I remember those first days working with that early sports station. We covered little league because, Parents wanted to see their kids playing, and you talk about repetition, six Little League games and six stand-ups in front of a camera. I thought, okay, (laughs) (laughs) this is great practice. Hardly anyone's watching, and it's me standing in front of the camera, so that was perfect. But as you go along and as you work with these high-level individuals, and I've been so incredibly lucky to work with some amazing play-by-play announcers and some amazing analysts and that bring an experience, and my favorite – my favorite coworkers and the people that I work with are the ones that they're a really big deal and you'd never know it because they include you with what they do. And I remember thinking to myself, if I'm ever in a situation where I'm working with, with someone who's, who's fresh into the business, I, I hope I will, I can do the same. And I remember thinking back to one of my first, my very first ESPN game actually uh, was a women's game, North Carolina and Virginia. And my play-by-play at the time was Beth Mowens. And I was nervous, of course. I'm flying cross-country to go do a, a big, you know, rivalry game in the conference. And um, we didn't we we didn't know each other. We went to breakfast, and she couldn't have been nicer and asked me how many games I had done with ESPN. You know? And I'm like, well, you know, actually, this is my first one. She's like, and she says to me, well, we're going to have a great time. We're going to have, you know, and I thought to myself, she was probably thinking, oh, great. They threw this rookie to me. But I never would have known that because she never let that show. And she was very gracious and uh, just inclusive of me to the group and to the team. And um that made a difference for me. And so that was very early on. I would say as I gained more and more experience over the years and becoming more of a a go-to play-by-play, I think you start to feel that there's more responsibility on your plate to keep a game going. And no matter what's falling apart or on fire, you know, in the truck or whatever. Um, So it's definitely been, it's definitely been later and there's still things that I'm learning and there are, there's still always, I'd say things that you can learn, but I'm feeling more and more that I'm becoming that person that's helping younger people in the business understand it and learn it. And I think it's that confidence that's starting to come on. And really it's, it's just within the last several years. You said something and you touched on it a little bit in in the way you talked about Beth there. Um, But you said something in another interview I'd, I'd rather read or seen that you had done, um, that resonated with me because it's something I've heard as well. And that's that in my entire career, I have never spoken to a coach, spoken to a student athlete, spoken to a fan or anybody. I have never read anything. We have always read it. Even if we didn't mm-hmm. read it, even if I read yeah. it, we still read it. Um, yeah. Why is that an important distinction to make on the air? Anytime you reference prep to, to do it as a team. And what are the mm-hmm. other ways that you use um, to foster a really good team dynamic uh, on a broadcast. Yeah, I I'm a firm believer of that point, and I I learned that many 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 years ago uh, when I first started. Um, that was something that I when I worked with the SPN more, they really were were so uh, incredible about teaching us because. Maybe you didn't get to go to the shoot around. Maybe something else came up. Maybe you were on the call, but the other person wasn't. But 
when I sit down at the table, we're a broadcast team. And so if I say that I did something, it very much excludes that person that I'm with. And I, and I, I can't imagine as a viewer that that they wouldn't get that feeling as well. And I want them to know that we're working together and I want to make it as conversational as I can. Radio is a very different beast compared to TV because you really do have to understand your role in radio. The play-by-play has to be able to get the call out and the game and let people know what's going on more. And it's a whole different focus, but you're still a team. You're still working together and you still try to make it as conversational as you can. You just have to do it a little quicker, (laughs) a little bit smarter. TV is a little different story. And I do feel like it's even more important to be conversational with one another. Um, And so I'm just always believed in what they what they taught and that was even if this person didn't get maybe they were flying in that morning and they didn't get to go to the practice or the shoot around um we're working on this together and i'll make sure that we're sharing notes and we're letting each other know about stories and um there are some amazing team players out there in this business that you know uh when i work with at the final four with westwood one radio holly rowe is on the other side for espn as the courtside reporter and if she can't get into a huddle because she's off doing an interview or she's been able to be in some kind of meeting she'll throw me a story or i'll throw her something um just to help each other out if there's something that we think hey this would be great and she's one of the best at sharing and being a team player and we're not even working for the same network at the time so i think it's important i think that it it, i think it shows i will tell you i've been on the other end of it where the person i was working with did not include me and maybe i wasn't in on the story or um you know that call or that practice and when they say when i spoke with coach it really makes you kind of sit back and feel disconnected from that individual and so i just hope and try to never make the person I'm working with feel that way. Well, and then where do you go from there? Like if, if you mm-hmm. were in a party to the conversation, how do you build off of it? You know, like if they, if, yeah. if, all, if, if the only difference is they say we, like it opens the door then for you to contribute more to that conversation and the, the viewer or the listener not have any idea. Right. You're exactly right. Because as soon as they say I, your, your mind goes somewhere else and you are completely cut from that situation. <laughs> so it, it just makes for an awkward situation. And I would guess that it, that the viewers and listeners could probably feel that as well. Take me back to that first conversation with Beth. Um, and I mean, maybe not even just that moment in particular, but those moments mm-hmm. in general. Um, how did you get on the same page with Beth in a very quick scenario like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and how have you fostered uh, culture and relationships and teamwork with people as you've been mixed and matched throughout your career? Yeah, I, you know, it's funny, Joel, there's so many things that I can't remember anymore. (laughs) Pros and cons of getting experience and getting older. Uh, You can't remember half of what you've done. But there are some of those instances, and I'll never forget that. And I, I can't tell you the name of the hotel, but we, we, I remember meeting her, she's reading the paper, because you know, you're reading, you're reading up, you're getting stories, you're figuring out what's going on. And I remember we met for breakfast. And uh, I remember sitting there. And I also remember the way I felt because of how she responded. And it, it allowed me to relax because I was nervous. It was, it was my first game and I was, I was excited and I was prepped of course, but you know, you want to do your best job. And it was just because of how she included me and wove me into 
the broadcast as well, even once we got to the arena. And she had already known these coaches, too. I'd never met the coaches in person. So you go to a shoot around and she made sure that she introduced me. And and the the greats that I've worked with over the years that have done that when I've covered men's basketball and there was a time where I was working the West Coast Conference men's package as an analyst and wanting and hoping that I would be uh, accepted with without question as you played the game and and here's what you think about it and it was thanks to my fabulous play-by-play making sure that if I didn't know this coach and he didn't know me that that he did you know that he introduced me immediately and included me and so that's something that I that I try to do a better job of and one of the things that I have struggled with and I work on it so religiously you would just never think that I do because I struggle but it's remembering people's names and I try and I repeat it and I do all those things say their name try to think of something <laughs> I try to do everything but I, I've gotten better and better but I, I try to remember people's names so that I can introduce the people that I'm working with, if they don't know someone to right. make sure I introduce them and include them in on it so that they don't feel excluded also. Yeah. I'm the worst name rememberer of all time. <laughs> like I will shake your hand and you'll say, hi, it's Krista. Yeah. And then I'll be like, oh, damn, what was it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I can repeat it and say it again. And then I think, what was their name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I own up to that one a lot, unfortunately, but uh, I try. It's not that I don't care. Um, you had mentioned that uh, in preparation as well, uh, you'll do different things based on if you're a play-by-play or an analyst, but you still take a, 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 an analyst approach sometimes to when you get ready as calling a, a, a play-by-play game. Um, what does your prep look like in that regard, and how does it differ from each chair? Yeah, as an analyst, I'd say... I've always been an over-prepper. Uh, I've had a lot of the personal info, uh, much more than just their number, their stats, you know, their name, what town are they from. Um, I, I dig into uh, you know, where they're from, who their parents are, siblings. I like to have those personal stories as well, and you can read up on the articles and, and get even more information. So I probably do a little bit more of that than maybe some play-by-play announcers do. Um, but again, that comes down to if you're working in TV, especially um, where you might be able to get into some of those personal stories a little bit more, uh, I want to be part of it. And I want I want to um, be able to contribute in, in that regard and, and give something that maybe a listener or viewer wouldn't know. And, and so sometimes for me, it comes into those personal stories about them. Um, yeah, so, but I still... I still add a lot of that even in my play-by-play prep. I have my sheets that have bio information, and of course you want stats and where they're from, but I still keep quite a bit, probably I would say quite a bit more personal info uh, than most. And when I jump into a tournament, let's say I'm covering teams I've never covered before, Mm -hmm. I'm going to dig into what has their program done the last X amount of years. I mean, I kind of dive back into the history and and see what where this team, where they – how they get to this point, basically, mm. where's this program been? Where's this team been within that conference where I, I like to get a, an idea of when I walk in, this is how big of a deal something might be because maybe they've never been to this point or, you know, maybe they have so many times, maybe they've dominated a conference. And so for me, especially on those in tournament time, when you haven't covered teams if maybe never, um, I want to know some of that history and that backstory to, to why they're, why they're here now. What is an analyst, if you're in that role, um, what do you wish the, like, obviously having been in both seats, what do you wish that play-by-plays knew about 
what you guys go through mm-hmm. as analysts that might better inform the way that we uh, interact with you guys uh, before or during yeah. a broadcast? That's a good question. You know, I think I think that every analyst handles things differently. I mean, I have absolutely had analysts that want me to, as a play-by-play, ask them questions point blank. What's this coach doing right now? What does this team need to do? I think I think that every director and producer has a, has a different mindset also. So they may be telling you, hey, let's get in. Where's the story? What's the story of this game before it starts at halftime? Where's our story going? Is it is it is it what we thought it was at the beginning? Do we need to change what we think the story is or is the story going the way we need to go? And so I think that they influence us as well, those that are behind the scenes kind of directing and producing it all. Um, but as an analyst, I think um, there's there's prep work and there are stories and you just want the opportunity as an analyst to make sure that you're able to tell people about that. And good good broadcasts and good broadcast teams, and those include the 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 folks behind the scenes, behind the camera, um, they know what direction we're hoping to go. You know, they know about some of these stories, obviously, and and you bring in a, a courtside reporter as well. You're going to talk about we absolutely have to hit on these certain things. These are so important to let people know about. And so um, it's, it's just a matter of everybody being on the same page. But I'd say just wanting and knowing that you have stories and you're going to you want to get to them, but you also you don't want to force it because maybe the story that you think it is is not really what the game ends up becoming, and you have to be willing to let go of some of those, some of that prep. I, I've always been told, eighty percent of the prep and what those all that scribble on your sheets <laughs> is you. You hope you really don't need to use it because you hope that the game itself is what you're really talking about. How much getting on the same page is there, um, and, and how much is the right amount too? Because I, I imagine there's some yeah. things that you you want to really vest beforehand uh, or vet beforehand and, and make sure you're all on the same page. But sometimes there's things I feel like where I want to hold it back a little bit so I can get a genuine reaction and answer mm-hmm. from somebody on the air. Um, which way do you prefer in, in either direction if you're being asked or if you're the one doing the asking? Yeah, I, I think uh, as long as it's nothing that's so spontaneous that they don't have a clue of what you're talking about. <laughs> you don't want to throw them off too much to where they have, they don't know what you're talking about. But um, I, I think that that's important as well. I think you have to have a little bit of spontaneity within the broadcast also, you know, and I would say if you're working with the, the right analyst and they know the game and they know, um, you know, they've done their prep, then they're going to know it. You could probably throw anything out there to them and they're, and they're going to know it and they're going to be fine with it. Um, I enjoy that. I enjoy being the analyst and being able to break something down and, and figure out scenarios of why something worked or didn't work. And as an analyst, it's fun to be able to watch things. So as a play-by-play, you're watching the action as it's going, but I like watching what's happening on the left side or the right side where the ball might not be or whatever, you know, what's, what's happening on the bench right now. And it's nice as an analyst to be able to watch those sorts of things as well and be able to give insight about something that maybe a viewer and the play-by-play might not be looking at. Yeah, along um, those lines, that's a, that's an interesting point because, and I feel like a lot of people, particularly the, the that are younger in this industry, um, with the way that things are nowadays, we, we do a lot of games with people that are young, new analysts, or sometimes mm-hmm. aren't analysts. Um, you know, if you're doing a school-produced mm-hmm. production, it's just sometimes like, hey, who's a recently graduated former player that can talk about the game that we can sit next to? <laughs> yes. um, what are the things that 
we should know as play-by-play people in those chairs to then turn to the person we're working with and say, hey, I want you to do this, that, and the other thing. Um, what has been important to you as you've learned and grown as an analyst to say like, you know what, that's something I should really be watching, or this is what I really want to look at, or or this is the one thing that, that helps make you a little bit better um, and, and create a better product that is um, easily digestible. Yeah, I, I think as an analyst, um, it you you want I want feedback from the play-by-play. I want to know what their style is. I think we try to talk about style, and there's the fine line of being told what you can and can't do by a play-by-play, <laughs> and also being a, a be, being uh, informed of. I like to make sure I get this said and then you can run with it after that. And just kind of knowing the timing of one another and really paying attention as an analyst. One of the things that I would make sure that I do, and especially on radio, uh, I keep a lot of eye contact, even if it's peripheral to see what my play by play is looking at, what direction they're looking. Are they watching me at all? I don't want to step on their toes if I can help it. And sometimes you can't help it and it just happens, but I do make eye contact with them quite a bit. I kind of take a peek to see, is he reaching for a promo card? Is he getting, (laughs) is he being told to do something else? Because, um, you know, I want it to flow as best it can. And so I want to be as an analyst, as helpful in that as I can. Uh, and again, I think it's okay. Sometimes we step on each other when we're talking conversationally, but, um, I think that uh, timing is so important and you can you can help yourself with that by just watching, just making sure you're seeing what they're doing. And then, like I said, also, they they can't just be looking down the bench or maybe watching a player leave the court or, you know, because they might be looking in the complete opposite direction. And so I I have the ability to maybe watch a fan in the stands or something else that's kind of crazy (laughs) happening and try to add in and, and give them that information if they're not seeing it put your players hat on for me a little bit here too um, because yeah. uh, we we often sometimes in this industry get dubbed as, as media types uh, <laughs> and it's like well don't talk about it if you never played the game y- yeah. you, you are in the interesting spot of uh, what you are broadcasting you have literally mm-hmm. done um, and mm-hmm. not a not every play-by-play person can say that um, mm-hmm. what benefit do you think your broadcasts gain because you have that perspective and and how do you try to use that to your uh, to your advantage well because I played basketball primarily now I I played volleyball I played tennis I played softball over the years and I was a a huge fan of football but I did not play football Um, and so it is different and I know that I, I understand and accept that that's different I think as a as a basketball former basketball player and now someone working in it, it makes it easier because I just know the game. It's just easier to talk about uh, what what's happening, the lingo, you name it. With a lot of the other sports, it's a lot more prep for me because I have to stay current with the games and as they change. And I have to dig deeper into rules and why something's happening or not. Because when you haven't played it, you don't have that same – uh, connection with it and it's kind of hard to explain but you as a fan I mean if you watch football and you love the game but maybe you never played or even soccer um, you know my school was such a big soccer school at, in college and so we covered a lot of soccer and that's how I really enjoyed and got into the love of, of calling the game and understanding the game but having not played it at a high level um, I don't really understand it quite as much so I have to rely on 
other people and, and on research. And so I have to really try to get a better understanding of it through the work and the prep that I do. Um, and so I, I understand when networks want certain statured people to fill certain roles, you know, I get that. But I also feel that as a play-by-play, I still want to know. I, I won't just say yes to any gig just to say yes. Um, it, I'm pretty amazed at some of my coworkers and people that I know and friends in this business that are able to call as many games as they do. I, I call a variety of sports, and I feel confident in those. And it's not to say that I couldn't call other sports, but there would have to be some pretty big prep time going on for some, that's for certain. So uh, I always said, I don't want to, you know, as much as you want to further your career, you could also end it really quickly too <laughs> by, by saying yes to something that maybe I shouldn't have said yes to. So it kind of depends on the scenario, but. What's the craziest yeah. thing you've ever been pitched? <laughs> Gosh, good question. Uh, yeah. Well, I did cover the senior Olympic games one time and that was interesting. <laughs> Are they just older Olympians or are these like yes. 70 year olds playing shuffleboard yeah. in the Olympics? Yeah, no, well, it, it's, it's, it is the senior games and various, and Evansville was a host of it. And they are, uh, I forget the age groups, but there's different age groups. And so there's the typical track and field, but it's more okay. power walking and, you know, um, but there's also fishing and there are games like uh, there's shuffleboard. And, and so it's a, it's a different array of, of sports and uh, it was fun, but the, uh, the fishing segment was one of my, one of, has left one of the most memorable uh, just memories in my brain uh, of a, of a, a woman who was we were we were interviewing and there's someone behind her fishing and as he casts back the hook gets caught in her shoulder on her oh. shirt and she did not even flinch she just reaches pulls it out of her shirt keeps talking to us you know and um it just makes me laugh every time i think about it it was so long ago but um that was that was a really interesting um, but you know, these are, these are senior athletes that train and train and train to, to be part of these senior games. And, um, there, some of them are, I mean, I mean, they're all pretty remarkable, but you know, you see some and you think, wow, I don't know if I could do what that person's doing right there. Um, but that was, that was a, that was a fun one. That's for sure. And that's one of those things where it like seems silly to us in the moment, but like to them, it's the biggest thing in the world at that time. Yeah. So yeah, it's still sure. being able to treat it with the right grandeur of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Who's the person that you most look up to in this industry or have looked up to over the course of your career? Well, it's the list has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, obviously, over the years. And I'll tell you that the very first individual that made me think, yeah, I can I can really do this uh, was way back when I was trying to decide what my major was going to be. And obviously, Bob Buck that I spoke about earlier, mm. he he was such a big influence in my life. But when he approached me about this and I was trying to decide what I wanted to do, because I really did think I would, I would coach. I, I enjoyed running camps and, and, and working in camps in the summers. And I just thought I'd become a coach. And, um, when I decided to declare my major in communications, I finally realized, you know, depending on if I play afterwards or go overseas or whatever I do, this would be a way to stay involved with sport. You know, this would be a way to continue to, uh, stay connected with it uh, if I didn't end up coaching. And there was really one main female in sports at the time, and that was Robin Roberts. And Robin was at ESPN at the time. And, you know, I just remember looking up to her and really 
saying to myself, okay, you know, there, there's a, there's a female talking about sports in this business, you know, and, um, Andrea Joyce was another one, you know, that who was out reporting with the Olympics and, and covering some. And so there were, there were, you know, a handful of, of women working on the sports side, but really not even close to as many, um, obviously that there are now. And so, um, you just, it kind of shaped my direction and it changed my focus of the direction I thought I wanted my life to go in, which was really impactful. And the most wonderful thing about Robin Roberts for me way back when was when I was just kind of starting out in the business early on and reached out to her. I'll never forget, you know, she actually called me back. You know, she, uh, I left her a message and she called me back and she gave me some, you know, just, advice and encouragement to work in the business and she could not have been more of the person that I thought she was than she really was I mean it was really really special have you met her since I have yeah I have met her uh it's been a while I haven't seen her in a while because she's gone in so many different directions but when I worked in the WNBA um I worked with the Sacramento organization with the Kings and the Monarchs organization and I was with the Monarchs for their entire run and Early on, the very first years of the WNBA, it was it was Robin as one of the main play-by-plays calling it, and so I, I got the opportunity to meet Robin um, over the years through through my WNBA work, and um, and then she moved on to 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 doing all all the many amazing things that she's doing now with with Good Morning America. But um, yeah, it was great to get the chance to to talk with her, and and like I said, I've reached out to her at least one more time down the road after I had met her in person, just for advice, kind of every, I think every so many years in this business, you hit a little curve in the road and you think, okay, am I doing enough? Am I, Hmm. am I networking enough? And you might hit a little bump and you think, is there something else I could be doing? And so I I remember reaching out to her one time, just saying, you know, is there anything else I could be doing? What what else am I, is there something else? And she, she again, called me back and was very responsive and just really um, still in at this point was pretty big deal (laughs) at this point in the business. So um, I've always, I've always been really um, appreciative of, of her generosity. Um, what else can you be doing at like, I, I feel like that's interesting to hear somebody like you say that who's been in so many high spots for such a long time mm-hmm. and does a lot of network work to say like, hey, to, to have a moment where you step back and say, well, what else am I not doing here? Um, mm-hmm. What are the ways that you've challenged yourself as your career has moved on? Well, you go through those phases of um, reaching out, reaching out and understanding when to reach out, how often to reach out, to not bother people, what about timing, when are decisions being made? If you have an agent, I would say most of those things. And at one time, at one point I did have an agent um, and I don't any longer, but it pros and cons. And I, you hear it from everybody and you can take a poll and say, do you like having an agent or you don't? And it's always about 50, 50, yes or no, (laughs) yes or no, the pros and cons of it. But um, knowing when to reach out and being able to kind of get the foot in the door is is something that is tricky. Um, but the thing that I, that I, that kind of stands out to me the most is as I went along in the career of being able to be confident and competitive and staying with it, but also accepting that I don't have control over a lot of it. And that has probably been the hardest thing to do, but also the best thing that I've been able to do for my career, because you can only control 
what you can control. And and this goes with anything in your life and in your world. Um, you can't help that a network hired someone else that maybe doesn't have the experience that you do, that maybe doesn't have this, that, or whatever. Mm. You can't always control that. You can put yourself in position. You can reach out to those people. You can give them your information and say, here I am. And to me, that's, that's all I can do. I decided finally in my life, cause I'm, I was competitive, you know, former athlete, you're competitive. And so you push and push and you get in and then suddenly you hit a little speed bump and you're like, wait a minute, I was going along. Right. And then, then it maybe changes because who the person that they want to work with maybe changes and something else comes up. And so you, you have to continue to stay creative. And I have to, I try to tell myself and believe that, that it's because things happen that you, you, the creative mind keeps going and I keep creating and thinking, how else can I get involved? And let's, let's look at our world now with technology, right? How many different, how many different ways there are to, to create a broadcast and be part of a broadcast. And so it, it makes you stay relevant and makes you stay creative to figure out, okay. Um, but the most important thing for me was I never want to try to take somebody else down in order to, I don't want to step on someone to move ahead. Right. That that's just me. Some people may say differently and, and may, <laughs> may, may handle it differently, but I finally decided I had to try to let go of some of the, um, trying to control it and just kind of letting it happen as well. And so, uh, it's that fine line of, reaching out, touching base, sending your info and letting the process happen. Cause you know what? You never know who you're going to meet. Uh, and this business is so much about who you meet and what happens in the next, you know, introduction to someone. You just never know. So, uh, similar question that I'll, I'll wrap up with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one that we ask everybody at the end of uh, every episode that we do. And that is, uh, what are, what is one thing or what are a couple of things that you try to do on a regular basis to continue to improve as a broadcaster, um, be it reviewing your own work or just simply reading or trying to keep up to date on things around mm-hmm. you? Um, how do you keep yourself sharp? Yeah, that that's the hardest thing as you get older in this business, too, uh, and you get bombarded with so much. <laughs> I, I cannot stand watching or listening to my games, but I will force myself every once in a while just to make sure, you know, trying to touch on the things I should be touching on. Um, I do listen, and it, it's interesting if you're with friends or you're with family and you're watching some sort of a game. Only broadcasters are probably listening to broadcasters as much as, as <laughs> we'll say, did you hear what he said? Did you hear what she said? And my sister will be like, what? No, I don't no. know. I was looking at, <laughs> yeah, they, they're not even paying attention. They probably just mute the TV for that matter. Um, but I do, I do find myself listening to my, my friends and colleagues in this business. And um, one of the things that I found was that I'm always going to see a game for the most part, the way I see it. And you can try to tweak and do what others do. And believe me, I've stolen many of things from many over the years. I think that's part of the business. You just take from all of them, what, what, all the good things they do. <laughs> um, but how you see a game is how you see a game. And when I've watched other analysts, how they see the game, I'll, I'll hear something. I'll think, wow, that was interesting. I, I never would have thought of that by how I, by, by watching what I just saw. And as I watch a game again, I still saw it the same way. Yeah, it doesn't, same doesn't thing. fit your narrative, so to speak. Yeah. Not in a bad way. It's just not right, how you would explain right. it. Yeah. It's just not how you'd say it. And 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 when I watched it a second time, the very exact thing that came out of my mouth the first time 
is exactly what I saw the second time too. So you're kind of wired a certain way and then you just have to try to continue to improve and work upon those little things. And maybe you'll hear a little saying, or maybe you'll hear something you think, I'm going to incorporate that. I'm going to try to do that. I'm, you know, and you can try to work on that and um, just little things. But I do think how you see things and how you prepare and, and work on things, it's, it's kind of how you're wired and how you do it. That's super interesting because I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I second guess myself a lot after a game and wow, mm-hmm. if I could have done this this way or that way. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's meant to be the way it is. And yeah, you can. And I bet I bet, Joel, if you go back and you watch it and and before you even for the words come out of your mouth of what you said, I mm-hmm. bet it would be the same thing that you would say again and how you see it nine times out of 10, probably. That's interesting. Yeah. It's reassuring to think of it that way. Yeah. Um, how do people get more Krista Blunk in their lives? Uh, how do they find you on social media and, and whatnot? Yes, that is one of the things that I'm trying to do more. You did <laughs> ask about. I, I'm, I'm a, I like to read. I read online. I read. I, I'm, I also have a little bit of attention deficit disorder. I think I, I, get, I start one thing and I go to the other. Um, but I do. I try to read uh, a lot of different online uh, articles and uh, books and you name it. And I'm trying to be a better person on Twitter. The thing about <laughs> social media, I love Twitter. I'm at Krista Blanc. Um, I'm really, really creative there. But um, I, I jump on Twitter constantly and especially now what else do we have to do i get so much information from so many other people and i love it but i don't always i'm not always a contributor so um i i like to throw a lot of my work stuff out there on twitter it's just not the way my mind works i i also try to disconnect some but um i need to be better at instagram i probably haven't posted a picture in three years i don't know but (laughs) (laughs) but i am on there i think i'm blunkster 30 i don't even know my name i think i'm blunkster 32 (laughs) on that one um but i am on twitter i'm at krista blunk um I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook. I've connected, I think, Twitter with my Facebook. And, and um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoy social media. I Snapchat with family and friends. That's all it, because I've been forced to do that. But um, I, I don't know. I enjoy what everybody else throws out there. Th- those that, whose minds work that way. Uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy reading what they put out there. So. All right, Krista Blanc joining us here on Play by Playcast. I always say if there's one thing to take away from every episode, you have become a better broadcaster. My one thing today, and we, we touched on it, like I made sure we harped on it in the podcast because she is 100% right in this area. The broadcast is a team. And and I, I've always done this since I forget the – some oh, Dave Ryan, friend of the pod, uh, was the first person to tell me this when I was in college. He was one of my – uh, sports casting professors. I, I took, I, I literally took the class was sports casting. Dave Ryan, Stephen Fonte from nine WSYR in Syracuse were the professors. Um, when you interview somebody, it's always we, even if it's just you, it's always we, you're a team. Everything is done together. Even when it's done singularly, because whatever you do makes the team better. And whatever somebody else does on the team makes the team better. And it's always not to, upset any Ohio State fans uh, it is always the team the team the team it's a, a unit product and that always makes the broadcast much much better uh, many thanks to Krista Blunk for joining us here this week on PXP cast upcoming guests for you to look out for Emma Tiedemann the double-a voice of the Boston Red Sox with the Portland Sea Dogs she is coming up Larry Kahn from Sports USA Radio Ian Eagle from CBS Sports and the Brooklyn Nets he is the best broadcast. Like he is my fave. Uh, he is finally on the podcast. 
Uh, keep an eye out for that one coming up uh, soon. Jill Montgomery as well from Four Leaf Productions, um, sideline reporter with ESPN. Really good perspective. Talent development coach happens to also be my talent development coach when I do things well, when I do things wrong. No. Um, but uh, she has a really good perspective to to land on this podcast as well. So a lot of good stuff coming down the pike. Dan Duva as well. Uh, he'll make his second appearance from the uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights. A lot to get to over the next couple of weeks. Hope you guys are staying safe and sane. I'm still trying to learn guitar. I have four chords down. I cannot switch between them, but I, I have four chords down. So that's what I'm working on. Until next time, this is PXPCast. Many thanks to Krista Blanc. My name is Joel Godet, and we are out. That will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.